Good morning. I hope everyone is doing well today. We are starting a new sermon series this morning titled, Your Own Personal Easter. Now, if you saw that title and you thought that was some kind of new age or some kind of goofy thing, the concept is is that there's one Easter that Jesus Christ did everything that needed to be done and that we don't need a new Easter, but for Easter, for everything that it's involved with, for it to be good, it has to be personal. It has to be something that you accept and you take into your heart, or it's just a mere religious uh, activity or time of the year. So we want Easter to be personal. In the next three weeks, we're going to try to make it personal for you and for me. And we're going to talk this morning about access, getting access to someone. How many of you, now you're in church, so please don't lie. How many of you would like access to some really important, rich, powerful people? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, whether you're Republican or Democrat, I just want you to think about this. For the next 20 years, if you had unlimited access to the Oval Office, would you enjoy that? Man, I would. I guarantee. One, the food would be great. It would have to be great there. But plus, I mean, can you imagine whether it's it, whoever's president, uh, President Obama now, whoever's president in two years, that you had the ability to go in there anytime you want to and to talk to them, give them advice, listen to that. To me, that'd be a great thing. Listen, if, if you're a visitor today, you, you don't know this, but if you're a regular, I have a little bit of a, a, a cowboy aversion, Dallas cowboy aversion. But let me tell you, if Jerry Jones called me this week, you know how Jerry talks. Jerry, uh, Chris, this is Jerry. I own the Cowboys, and I would like for you to be a part of our team. If Jerry called me this week, and Jerry said, you can come to the owner's booth, that's the owner's booth at the stadium, and sit with me for every home game, I would miss four to five Sundays this fall. Because I would go, again, the food would be great. You kind of see where my mind's going, uh, don't you? But I'd get to argue with Jerry. You would have a great, you know, you'd have a great seat in an NFL game. And you'd have access, like him or not, to someone who is, uh, who's a pretty significant player in the world. I want to tell you this morning, in Matthew 27, something happened that gives you access. And by the way, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but... Jerry ain't going to call you today, probably, and he's not going to call me. And I don't think that you're going to have a hotline to the White House, but I'm going to give you something this morning that's even greater. But let's start with this. When Jesus died, things changed forever. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, there were things that changed forever. In Matthew 27, verse 50 is where... Uh, We're going to be in verse 50 and 51. In verse 50, it simply says, And when Jesus had cried out, again, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Giving up his spirit means that, that he died. Now, I hope you'll come back next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the crucifixion. And we're going to look at everything that was involved in the crucifixion, the brutality of it, and how horrible the whole process was. But we're also going to look at, we're going to look at, Uh, how significant that was for you and and me. But this morning, I want us to look at verse 51. In verse 51, it says, At the moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two 
from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. I told our early service, who were mostly, it's mostly older people, I said, this is where rock and roll began. And they didn't like that. But the rocks were rolling when Jesus died. Now, the key thing in there, it says, and the curtain was torn. And, and it would be possible for you to have read the Bible a hundred times, even though that's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and miss, especially miss the significance. Does this really matter? I want to tell you this matters in an unbelievable way. Now, I'm going to kind of walk you through some stuff that is really important. First of all, we're going to look at a picture of the temple. Now, this was the temple in Jesus' day. Leave that there for a minute, Brian. There were several temples talked about in the Bible. There, there was Solomon's temple had been destroyed, and, but this is Herod's temple, the one that Jesus would have gone to. This is a huge structure. All of this is considered the temple. And, and, and this area here, the temple area, encompassed about 35 acres. So think about 35 football fields, basically. It was a really big area. And this, for the Jewish people, man, this was the, this is heaven on earth. This is the most significant place on earth to them. This right here, we're going to go back and look at it in a moment. This is the centerpiece of our story this morning. This is where the, the holy place and the holy of holies, where the presence of God dwelt, was. Now, I want to show you a modern-day picture of this same, uh, this same place. This is a cool picture, too. This is taken... If you've read in Matthew 26 where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and then he gets arrested, this picture is taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. And this wall right here is an ancient wall that Jesus Christ himself would have actually, uh, actually looked at and I'm sure probably touched. When Cindy and I were in Israel, we looked to see if there was any like Jesus was here, you know, you know or whatever. But there wasn't a cross, you know, or whatever. But... Now, this right here, and this is significant, this is where the Holy of Holies, the Wailing Wall, which you see on TV is over here, this is where the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, the most sacred place in Judaism, was. Now, when that's a Muslim mosque now. Now, this is, a, this is chasing a little bit of rabbit, but not a bad rabbit. But when the Muslims came over and conquered Jerusalem several, several hundred years after Jesus' day, First thing they did is they just, they, they, the temple had already been destroyed, but then they build their place of worship right in the most sacred place of Judaism. So just, just a little thought, if the Muslims take over Rustin, this could be a mosque someday. So, you know, that's, that's scary. But let's go back and let's look at the, the, the temple picture again. Okay, so this is what's called the court of Gentiles out here. I don't know if anybody in here is Jewish by birth, but I'm not. That is where we would have hung out. That's the only place we could have gone. This is the place where Jesus threw down on the money changers. You remember? They were selling, they were cheating people and stuff, and Jesus, I mean, Jesus really went off, and he turned the tables over and screamed at them and drove them out with whips. Then you, you move into this area, and it's kind of hard to see here, but there's an area called the court of women. That's Jewish women and men could go in there. Then you enter another court. This is the court of men. This is where they watch Monday night football and stuff. The women couldn't go in here. Obviously, there was shop done in here in the court of women. Uh, little humor. And, and then after you got out of the court of men, Jewish men, you entered an area called the court of priests. And that is only people that could go 
from that point farther were priests. Now, this is, this is important. You couldn't decide you wanted to be a priest. You couldn't say, hey, I think priests make good, a good living. Uh, you know, I went to my guidance counselor at my synagogue school, and he said you ought to be a priest. You had to be from the bloodline of Aaron. So for you, listen, this is, man, this is huge. You, unless you were Jewish, unless you were from the bloodline of Aaron, you had a, you had a limited access to the presence of God. Y'all are looking at the green light floating around, aren't you? I see. Okay. We're done, and God said, go home and have a great morning. Okay. Okay, so now you enter into this place. In here, first, the first layer you walk in is called the holy place. Now, one priest went in the holy place every day to offer sacrifices. There was a golden altar there. There was a, a table that had the, the, the 12 loaves of showbread that every, uh, every Sabbath was changed out. There was a seven uh, uh, candelabrum, beautiful candelabrum for seven candles. If you, if you know the Bible, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah was this older man who goes in there. You, got, you were lucky if you were a priest, you ever got to go in there. It was chosen by Lot. He got to go in there. While he's in there, like he's like 75, and an angel shows up and tells him he's going to be a father. That's not a great thing to hear if I'm 75 and I hear that, but that was a great thing for him. But beyond the holy place, which one priest went in daily to offer sacrifices for sin, is the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is the most sacred place. The holy of holies, listen, this is so big. The holy of holies is where God's presence dwelt. And, and in Solomon's temple, the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you ever heard of the Ark of the Covenant? You may not know anything about the Bible, but you know who Indiana Jones is, correct? He was looking for the lost what? The lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. In there, in Solomon's temple, set the Ark. Now, in 587 B.C., 580 years before Christ, the Babylonians came in, destroyed the temple, and took the Ark. So in Jesus' day, there was no Ark in there, but there was a stone that set where the, the Ark was. is a place of remembrance. And there, there, in that, that's where they also, the priest, the high priest would go in there one day. You're only the high priest. You had to be from the tribe of, or, or your bloodline had to go back to Aaron to be a priest. And then to be the high priest, it was going to be very, very rare. So one person, one man, once a year, the Day of Atonement, Yon Kemper got to go in there to, to offer sacrifices. The, the, holy, the Holy of Holies is a place, it's about, it's about a 15 by 15 foot room. But separating the holy place from the holy of holies was a curtain that we're talking about this morning. This curtain is unbelievable. Let me show you how long it was. The curtain was 60 feet long. Now, here is a pretty good guess following the green light. From right here to that back door, turn around, look, look, look. That's about 60 feet. So this curtain was about that long. It was about 40 feet wide. So the curtain from this wall to that wall is about 40 feet. So I want you to think about this. This is a huge curtain. This is a curtain that we could lay across you and you guys could sleep peacefully as I preach to the balcony this morning. It would cover the whole floor down here. It's incredible. It was a handbreadth thick. Now, what in the world does a handbreadth mean? The best, the best guess is it's, it's about like this. If you look at my hand from the tip of my finger to about the, my wrist here, that's how thick 
this curtain was. Separating the holy place where a priest went daily from the holy of holies where the presence of God was, where only the high priest went on the day of atonement. It was, it was, a, it was just a magnificent. Let me tell you a little bit about how it was designed. It, it, um, it had 72 twisted plates of 24 different threads. It was beautiful. It was thick. And it was big. And look in verse 51. At the moment that Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Scholars say that if you took a team of horses on each side, a team of horses, normally you think of two horses. Horses are powerful. They might could have ripped that apart from the bottom to the top. But it says when Jesus died... This curtain was, when it says ripped, it means it was torn in two. From top to bottom, that only God could have done that. And you still may be saying, get to the point. What are you trying to say? Here's what this meant. It meant when Jesus died, that the barrier between God and man, regular man, was completely torn in two. What it meant was that what separated the presence of God, listen, from you and me and everyone in this room, that curtain, that holy place, was destroyed. And so let me give you the last big fundamental thought on this. This meant that you and I have total, unlimited, personal access to God. Can you say amen to that? Can you imagine? You're a Jewish person. You're a non-Jewish person. 2,500 years ago, you can have a relationship with God, but it's from a distance because only the high priest can go in the presence of God. And when that curtain got ripped in two, what that said was is that you and me, no matter what our past is, no matter what our present is, if we're willing to get squared up with God, that we have total, personal, unlimited access to God Almighty. Is that not awesome? Well, I need to clean up before I can go to God. You can go to God. Well, I need to get a degree from in the Bible, or I need to read the Bible more. I need to know more. That curtain was ripped in two to say that you and me have unlimited access to God. I want to give you three ways this plays out in your personal life. Three ways. Number one, it, it means that you, you can go to God in prayer. You can go to God personally for prayer. Now, now, folks, you ought to get other people to pray for you. You ought to get your friends to pray for you and to pray with you. You need to learn how to pray more and better. But I want to tell you, one of the, one of the greatest untapped resources in your life is, is the power of prayer. Folks, you have an invitation from God that you can go right to God and you can pray and talk to him any time that you want to. Hebrews 4.16. And by the way, if you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews 9 and 10 in particular deal with this subject a lot. But Hebrews 4.16. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. The King James says boldly so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help uh, help us in our time of need. You and I, we can go to God. 
I'll be happy to pray for you as your pastor, but you can pray to God yourself. You can walk into the presence of God. A a sad story I heard years ago, it was about a famous pastor in Texas. He was well-known, he was very successful. His kids were a train wreck. Here's part of the reason why. One of the kids said that when Daddy studied, his office door at home was closed. And if his office door was closed... You were not to bother daddy. Here's what the son said. The door was always closed. Now, I can't give you 24-7 access, and you can't give that to me. But here's the cool thing. God can. God's door is never closed. You have unlimited minutes with God. Isn't that great? Well, I'm over my minutes. You're never over your minutes with God. Listen to me, if you believe in the power of God and the power of prayer, what an unbelievable privilege to know that you can go and talk to God as much as you want to, as often as you want to. You don't have to go through an operator. You don't have to go, somebody else is reading his emails and and seeing that you're going to get them. You can go straight to God. Isn't that awesome? Here's the second thing. You can go to God personally for forgiveness. You can go to God personally for forgiveness. How many of you sin on a regular basis? And you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just lied. You you sin on a regular basis. Now, here's here's one of the catches of the Old Testament. Could a person before Jesus' day, could they they ask God to forgive them? Yes, but, but there had to be sacrifices for sins over and over and over. And... I want to read to you. This is just the official sacrifices in Jerusalem. A guy named W.D. Davis, uh, in his book, Paul and Rabbinic Judaism, shares this. These were the official sacrifices done in Jerusalem every year for forgiveness of sins. 1,093 lambs, 113 bulls, 37 rams, and 32 goats. Those aren't the personal sacrifices. Those aren't the ones that you and I would make for our family or friends. Those are the ones that the official priest had to do for the people to be forgiven. Now, I'm not going to read it, but in Hebrews it says this. It says this, that when Jesus died, he, as your high priest, went into heaven with his blood, and his blood was all that was ever going to be needed again for the forgiveness of our sin. And because he died, and you sin and I sin, his blood is good enough for us. And when we need forgiveness, we can go straight to God ourselves. Now, I'm not, listen to me, I am not at all um, belittling or knocking talking to a minister or confessing your sins to another person. In fact, there's times I wish that we did that here at our church. I think I would, that'd be kind of cool. Al Flowers comes in, and, you know, I'm sitting down. He starts confessing. Al, what in the world did you? I can't believe you did that. That's not what a priest would do or a pastor should do. And in James chapter 5, it tells us in the New Testament that there's value in confessing your sins to other people, too to getting their help and their guidance. But here's one of the great things that happened when that curtain got torn in two. That you can go straight to Jesus yourself for forgiveness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if, that's a big word there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us 
and purifies from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great privilege to know that with your sins, with all the junk in your life, you don't have to come to me for forgiveness. You can go straight to God yourself. Let me give you one last thought on this. You can go to God personally for direction. Listen, here, here's how I see most people are miserable in their lives. Bad choices. Bad choices. Make bad choices about jobs. We make bad choices about relationships. We make bad choices about schools or our careers. We, we make bad choices, and bad choices lead to an unhappy life. It's to a life of regret. If, 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 if I would have done this. Here's a great way to start making better choices. Go to God and let him help you make the right choices. I want to go back to that Hebrews 4.16 again. It says, Hebrews 4.16, Let us approach the throne of grace boldly so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, God wants to help you. And, and, And if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you can today if you give your life to Christ, you can go to God for direction. Now, let, let me, let me th- clarify this. If you're 12 years old, don't go home today and say to your parents, I'm a Christian, mom and dad, and God told me I can stay out till 2. <laughs> because this doesn't negate authority in our lives. It doesn't negate leadership. You've got a person who's been a Christian 50 years and who's mature in their faith, and, and then you have another person who's a Christian who's 8 years old. That, that's awesome. They both have the Holy Spirit and access to God, but that doesn't negate common sense there, does it, or wisdom. But here's the bottom line with this. The, the bottom line is that you and I constantly need guidance. We constantly need to know what the Bible says about our lives. Listen to other people, get their advice, get their opinion, but listen, you can go to God and get it. I had a friend in Texas who became a Christian, and he started reading his Bible, and he, and he went back home to where he'd grown up, and he told his preacher, he said, you know, some of the things that you taught us when we were kids don't match up with the Bible. You know what the preacher told him? Quit reading your Bible. <laughs> How many of you see a problem with that? I want to tell you, read your Bible. Read your Bible because as a Christian, you have access to God who wrote the Bible. He can help you understand it. When I was a young man, when I was about 21 or 22, right when I was getting out of college, I was a young Christian. I was trying to make a lot of life decisions. And, and I wanted my, my parents, especially my dad, I wanted them to tell me what to do. I wanted them to say, this is the job you need to pursue. This is the career you need to pursue. And they would give me help. They would give me biblical boundaries. But my dad would always kind of push me and say, you've got to go to God to get the answer. Here's the great thing. You can. You can. When that curtain was torn and the Holy of Holies was exposed, that was God saying the way to his presence is open for every single one of us. I want to talk to you just for a minute about the stars. The, The stars. Dim the lights just a little bit, if you would, there. Brian, my boy. That, that's a picture, and this is going to tie in, I hope. Uh, that's a picture of a night sky. Astronomers say 
that, that if you were to go to the right place on the planet, which would be the northern or southern hemisphere on, on, a, on a cloudless night where the moon was not out, you, with your naked eye, you could count about 9,000 stars. I'm ADD. I'd make it to about 55. But those of you who aren't or who are on medication could make it to about 9,000. How many stars are out there? Well, in our Milky Way galaxy, our, our Earth is in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, listen to this. Follow this. Astronomers say that it contains about 4 billion stars in our galaxy. Four, oh, excuse me, 400 billion stars. A little bit of a difference. 400 billion stars. Now, that's a, that's a picture of space from the Hubble telescope. That's a little different, isn't it? Now, now, listen to this. According to our astronomers, there may be up to 170 billion galaxies like the Milky Way out there. Milky Way galaxy that the Earth's in contains 400 billion stars. 170 billion galaxies in the observable universe. They say that if you started in Ruston and you traveled at the speed of light, which is 186,000 uh, miles per second, and you went 13 billion years in any direction, that's, what, that's the observable universe. <laughs> what do they think? How many stars are out there just in all these galaxies? Somewhere around uh, one septillion. What's a septillion? Well, it's 10 with 24 zeros after it. Wow. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to think about this. You believe the Bible, and I hope you do, that God spoke it and that happened. Think how mighty and magnificent our God is. And that same God says to you this morning, my office is always open. You have full, complete, personal access to me 24-7. All that happened when that curtain got ripped in two. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty awesome. Let's pray. If you're a Christian this morning, I would ask you, how, how much are you accessing God? Why don't you make a commitment in your life today to be sold out living in the presence of God. If you're not a Christian, man, God wants you to give your life to Him this morning. Would you pray with me where you are and just, just say to Jesus, just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I, I, I want to repent of my sins. I, I believe you're God's Son and that you died for me and Jesus, I ask you now, come into my heart.
And today, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a second. I want to give you an opportunity to embrace the God who wants to be intimate with you. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, I want to challenge you to do something that's hard, but that's, uh, that's, uh, that's of eternal value. Would you come today and talk to one of our ministers? Seal that deal with Jesus in your life. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you would like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that. Not the only way, but one way. When we stand is you can come. Ministers will be down front. We can help you with that decision. You come and join us today. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, maybe some of us need to do some repenting because we've got access to God that we barely use. And maybe today we need to make a commitment to live in the presence of God. Maybe you want to make that or come and pray at the altar. Whatever your decision is, let's stand and you make it now. God's given you an opportunity. Make your decision.